Hey everyone, welcome to Detoxicity, a podcast about men, by men, and for everyone. I hope you've been able to stay safe and healthy under the current circumstances, and I thank you for listening. Oh, by the way, my name is Mike Joseph. If you are enjoying the podcast, I'd very much appreciate if you took the time to leave a comment and or a rating on whatever podcast platform you are using to listen. Also, feel free to follow me on socials. Uh, I'm on Instagram at It's Mike Joseph. I'm on Twitter at It's Mike Joseph One. Or you can go to Facebook.com slash Detox Pod. My guest on this episode is Blake Calgary. Blake is an IT professional photographer and music fan based in New York City. Uh, we have a great talk. It's really funny and it's really honest and really open and we discuss pretty much everything really the overall theme i think here is evolution um evolution as a person evolution as a partner evolution as a music fan uh, he talks about growing up as a fan of cowboys and how that sort of played into his worldview uh, as a kid um getting married young uh, losing your virginity at a young age and whether that makes you a man or not just so much amazing stuff so i hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as i did uh, recording it so my name is Blake Calgary. I'm an IT manager. I'm, I've been a man for 31 years. <laughs> That's a long time <laughs> to be a, a man, Blake. It's a long time to be a man. Some people don't get that long. Some people get too long. So yes. there you go. Yes, indeed. Where are you from, Blake? I'm from Long Island. I grew up uh, in Hicksville on Long Island, about 45 minutes out of New York City. I would not have figured that. Is it because I've done a pretty solid job of getting rid of my accent? You have completely <laughs> gotten rid of your accent. Yeah, I uh, I grew up on Long Island. I'm a second generation Hicksvillian. My mom and I grew up in the same town, went to the same high school. Um, my dad is from Bedstuy. He grew up going to the high school that is up the street from my current apartment, which is crazy to me. Um, and yeah, I've I've lived in New York. All, for, of my 31 years, 29 of them have been in New York. Uh, Where are the other two? London. Oh! So I lived in London for two years, yeah. Was that a college thing? No, that was, um, my wife and I had, we had been talking about it since we started dating in, like, 2010. We were like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to live in London? Wouldn't it be so cool to live in Europe? It seems like it'd be really fun. And something that she always wanted to do that I had never really thought about, and then I told that to my company when I first, like, got hired with them. Uh, I was working for an ad agency at the time, and they were like, yeah, we have a spot. You want to go? And we were like, fuck, yeah, let's go. And then we went, and it was miserable. Um, what was miserable about it? Couldn't make any friends. Nobody really wanted to be friends. It was really challenging. Um, the only friend I ended up making was an American who I worked with who is still, like, now he met his wife in London, and they moved to Brooklyn together, and we live... 15 minutes away from one another to see each crazy. other all the time. Which is like, the, he's the only friend I made in the UK, which is so funny. Um, but yeah, we had, a, we had a hard time there. But now, like, now we're back and everything's cool. But yeah, it was, it was, an, intense, it was an intense two years. Really uh, lonely. But. British, and British people are typically not unfriendly No, I wouldn't say folks. that. I wouldn't say they're unfriendly. I would just say that like, they make friends when they're in university or, or when they're in high school. And they, they maintain those friendships for their whole life, which is... Super impressive. Like, I only have, like, one or two friends from university and high school that I'm still friends with, but, you know, they, they make it, like, we're good, we're right. good, I'm yeah. gonna keep you in arm's capacity, lane. yeah. Yeah, um, which is, you know, it's challenging, because when you move to a new country, you're like, let's fucking, let's, let's hang with the locals, yeah, let's, let's see what's up. let's go do some shit let's, and like, make some new friends. Let's yeah, let's make some new friends, let's, some let's hear what they're listening to, let's, like, talk about what they're talking about, and it's, yeah, it just sort of, it was a bit sad, but we, we grew closer from it so that's a that's an upside of it but yeah it was a uh, it was a challenging two years to be in my brain hicksville long island i would have never figured no you do not sound new york at all i tried to like neutralize my accent with <laughs> with a lot of r's and a lot of t's and a lot of s's <laughs> you've thrown me for a loop already boy. i can't help it man this is what i do yeah i'm, I'm new york through and through i have a long island tattoo man i you do i First tattoo I got when I was 18 years old. Me, my dad, and a dude's basement in, like, western Long Island talking about fishing while there was uh, ultimate fighting on TV. That's all I remember from that and being like, I am super uncomfortable being down here at right. 18. Well, that also sounds very Long Island. Yeah, super so. Long Island. Just get a tattoo done in a basement by some rando dude that you're, like, not acquainted with. You were just told, like, oh, this dude's cool. And I'm like, cool, that dude's cool. I'll go I'll hang go on that dude. Put, have something permanently put no, on my hand by him. This dude, like, scar my arm right. for the rest of my Great. life. Great. 
You are very liberally tattooed, from what I can see. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm. I. It's the to the point where like I don't count them anymore. That's the that's the amount of tattoos that I have, which I always think is interesting. I feel like my personality doesn't really align with that, so I think it's always fun when like I meet I meet someone in the winter and then they see me in the summer for the first time and they're like, "Who the hell are you?" Right. That's always the most exciting part. You're an IT IT guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, you are uh, very sort of like friendly and bubbly and you know. And then I got a big snake tattoo. Yeah. Yeah, which is cool. And, like, you know, you got a bunch of skulls on your stomach, and you got a bunch of, like, weird animal heads, and that's it. That's just, it's <laughs> just the way I, I just, I don't like my skin. I just would much rather have cool artwork on it all the time, so. So was it just, like, you got the first one and you were hooked, I was or? Hooked. I was like, I love this. I love the sound. I love the smell. I love the feeling. It's like when you get a new t-shirt or you get a new pair of pants or you get a new pair of shoes and you're so excited to wear them like you just wear them the next day and you wear them every day for like three or four weeks it's like that but it's with your body and i think that that's so fun because you never really get like you know so few chances in your life you get to totally reinvent your body and it's like every time you get a tattoo you get to change your body permanently in that like one little bit of extra way and i just think that's so fun so huh. yeah I, I never thought of it that way. I mean, I'm less tattooed than you are, but still pretty tattooed. Still pretty tattooed, I would yeah. say. But uh, oh, that's an interesting uh, way to think about it. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, so good. <laughs> Blake, you are such a... Uh, 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 you're a very colorful... For a man that wears this much black, I feel, yes, I am quite colorful. Um, which is nice. I think it's good because, yeah, in New York City, it's hard to... It's hard to feel, like, original. That's always what I say. It's, like, it's super hard to feel original. Hey, in New so. York, everyone's kind of an original. But I think the, the ultimate, like, struggle is that you should feel like your your originality is a bit of a sham. <laughs> or at least, like, that's how I've always taken it. Like, you're, you're yeah, yes, you, you are an original person, and you do things that are very specifically you. However, so does everybody else. And it's right. like, how is your originality any better than someone else's originality? Right, so, your originality should be more original than everyone else's originality. And I think that when you're trying to do that, that's, like, what you go... And I think I went through that for a really long time growing up, where I was just like, I need to be so specific and so me and so this. And then it's like, oh, wait, it actually doesn't matter. Everyone's trying to do that. So yeah. what is it? who cares? Um, so, yeah, I, I, I struggle with that a lot, but tattoos help. <laughs> Good. You were telling me before we started recording about Kid Blake. Oh, yeah. And I am massively intrigued. Kid Blake just really wanted to be a cowboy. And, like, and I think to, to even spin it into what we're talking about, when I was a little kid... There was like a chivalrous tone to being a cowboy. Okay. Like cowboys were always the ones who were like super respectful and were like yes, always trying to yeah yes ma'am no ma'am trying to trying to save the day yes. and trying to be rescue uh, the damsel in distress exactly like that was always what you were trying to do and I think that like a lot of the a lot of my upbringing because my dad was so western focused which sounds like it's an odd phrase to say but my dad watched a lot of westerns when I was a kid and there was always like cowboy movies on and and you know that i don't think that you could help that being like ingrained in you a little bit when you're always seeing these like chivalrous men in white hats doing these like very specifically good quote-unquote good things sure um and i think you just automatically want to be like yeah i want to be like that right. i want to do that because my dad looks up to them and if my dad looks up to them then like they must be good at least in my head that was always what what sort of drew that line for me it was like if my dad thinks these are the chivalrous good people to be i should try and model myself like them um so that included wearing a lot of cowboy boots uh with shorts in the summertime which was a beautiful look so was, you looked like an extra in a Madonna video, basically. One hundred percent, like one hundred percent. If I like my little pleather vest and my little like, well, okay, it was whatever, whatever the pleather version of suede is. It was definitely not real suede. Whatever it was, fake suede. It was like suede? fake suede. It had like fringe on it and little, uh, like little steer head patches and like leather on the, on the the front of the. There was it was adorable. It was so adorable. I must see this. And, like, couple it with, like, there's also this really great photo of me in acid wash jeans with a blazer and these big aviators and the the gray cowboy boots on. I I liked being a cowboy. I thought it was cool. I thought cowboys were cool. Um, yeah, because they just, they rode horses. Like, why not? Like, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, I, that's, I guess that's cool. I have no desire to ride a horse. I feel like riding a horse would be pretty cool. If you could ride a horse, like, 
I could have look if I could have taken a horse here instead of the Q train, one hundred percent. So now you're saying you want to be Amish, basically? I don't think I know. I love zippers. Ah, fair. <laughs> fair. Zippers are pretty nece- necessary. Thing. Yeah, like I don't like, like you've gone to a show in button fly pants. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. I, I, I prefer to not go anywhere in button fly pants. Sign me up, brother. Like, like that's a that's a you have to go into, them. You have to go into the stall if you're wearing oh my button God. fly pants. And that's that's like and at a show waiting for a stall is like just an, an unlikely like a non friendly endeavor. To right, take. you're going to miss forty minutes because yeah. you're waiting for a stall to open, and all you have to do is pee. Yeah, you're like I just gotta pee real quick. Right. Two seconds. Two right. seconds. CBGB style, we should just have big toilets up on like a pedestal with no doors around them. Is that what they had at CBGB's? Yeah, um, I actually only went to CBGB's once. It was their last hardcore matinee they had in 2006, 2007 maybe. Um, Righteous Jams headline. That's what I remember about it. And uh, and yeah, their toilets, they had walls of urinals and then one actual shitter that was up like four feet above everything else and there were no doors around it. So if you had to poo, you had to poo in front of everybody. Get the hell out of here! Yeah, man, CBGB's, they were like... It was like, forget the Ramones pooping in front of people. That's <laughs> right. what CBGB's is famous for. Should have had that sign in the front. Nobody poos at Nobody. CBGB's. That is the most punk rock thing ever. Better only, better, but I'll be pooping in there. Right? Yeah. Jeez. I mean, one thing you can also do, with, and I've seen this before, people who wear buttonflies, and just sort of straight up just pull them down at That's the That's wild. What a time to be alive. Yeah. Like, people just, people are going like elementary school style. Like, yeah. sign me up. Like, like here's my ass. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, like, a butts, a butts are always funny. Are they? I think, I mean, like, butts are, like, to me, if we're talking about nudity, like, acceptable nudity, I think a butt is always acceptable. Like, I think a butt is, like, the least, I don't know, my, this is maybe, maybe, this is a weird story. So, my wife and I do this thing where, or we used to, whenever we would travel, we would take a Polaroid camera with us, and we would insist on taking, like, naked pictures, wherever, like, in, like, the hotel, or, like, the Airbnb or thing, but it was always from the back. So it was always <laughs> our butts. And my personal favorite one was we were in Ireland, and we were walking in this forest, and it was, like, pissing down rain, Ooh. and it was super, like, green lush, but there was nobody around. So I just went, like, 25 feet away from my wife, and I just took off all my clothes, and she took a picture of me with, like, this huge forest in the background, and just my white butt <laughs> right in the middle of the photo, which, like, is so funny to me. I, I think, again, butts are always going to be funny. Butts are just, like, a, a relaxing, funny thing for me. Butts are, butts are cool. I mean, cool. I personally enjoy butts quite a bit. Who doesn't? There, I mean, a butt... A butt is a butt, and I mean, you can get... You Mike can get Pence jo- probably doesn't... Well, actually, Mike Pence probably really enjoys butts. <laughs> Therefore... As long as their mother approved... <laughs> God. God. So, uh, we've, we've gotten this off to a very humorous start. I, yeah, that's, that's my... That is my, um, my method. I, I diffuse any of my uh, social discomforts with humor, so... Uh, so if we were hoping for anything serious... Has that always been a thing? Like, always. Always in my life. My so, family, have you ever done comedy... No, no. Well, never like on a stage. I so I have I I work very well on a on a one on one, one on two, one on three kind of basis. Uh, I think any more than like ten or twelve people, and and I find that uh, the sense of humor that I have, I'm trying to widen it so much that it doesn't make any sense. So I uh, I stick to I stick to mano a mano. Small crowds. Yeah, I'm a, I, I do I do small crowd work. I'm like, hey, where are you from? You like turnips? Nice. All right. <laughs> like that's always always my level. But yeah, I've. I've always, I've always, like, I was a class clown when I was a little kid, like, I always wanted to be the, the funny one, and that was always, like, my goal, I was like, I never really, I don't really care about being the attractive one, or, like, the whatever, that, I was like, I just want people to think I'm funny, and as long as you think I'm funny, like, we cool. So where'd that come from? Where did the desire to be the class clown? My family, uh, is very, we're, we are Italian-American, and, uh, so everyone's very loud. We're all very boisterous. <laughs> We're very loud, um, which isn't passing any judgment across any other Italian-Americans. I can only speak to my family and maybe the Giordano's up the block, but we were all quite loud. Um, Thinking of all the Italian-American families I know, and it sticks. Yeah, it sticks. We like we like pasta and we like yelling. Um, so, like, <laughs> that's... Well, so part of that was, you know, making my, making my parents laugh, making my family laugh was the first time where I could bring down their walls a little bit and sort of have my voice be heard because I'm the youngest of three boys. Um, so as the youngest and the smallest of three boys, you're, you're always like up against that, 
rock of like no one's going to listen to you right no one wants your opinion nobody cares like i i was a really like cryy kid i cried a lot about like anything um so like i was this i was like the soft one quote unquote like my my brothers always like beat me up and made fun of me for crying all the time and stuff so the only time i could really have my opinions heard or my voice be heard or like cut through the noise is with humor so for me it's always been a like connecting piece to the rest of society because it's like this is the only way i can really express myself it's like i want to be funny and it, usually i'll if if i'm like that i don't like that person the and someone goes why i'm like they don't think i'm funny that's usually oh. the like like if you don't think i'm funny like i have a hard i have a very hard time being like cool with you because i'm like we can't relate like if you, we don't find the same stuff if you don't think the simpsons are funny if you don't think like butts are funny uh you know i have a hard time because i i want you to think i'm funny and it's really really important so yeah that's a that's long been a thing for me it's like this is the only way i can speak is in a silly voice <laughs> how much of that is an anxiety thing like uh oh there's all there's buckets of anxiety all the time like chronic constant horrible anxiety all the time i think that in the last few years i've sort of harnessed that anxiety and tried to turn it into like turn turn it into something else because that anxiety is so like prevalent in my everyday life that letting it win to that point was like well i'll just never talk to anybody <laughs> so instead i'm just like yeah like i'll just i'll just diffuse it with being funny and i'll just try my damnedest to to not let this like crippling pain of like I hope this is okay. I just like don't worry about it. It'll be fine. Like people will will laugh or not laugh and then get over it. And then that that's sort of how I move through life. Like you see me, I think interact with people every day where it's like I diffuse bad situations with humor literally all day. Right. Um. And it's it's silly to like think about my job in that way, but people come to me with problems. I only ever see broken things, and the number one way to fix that is to be like, cool. Let's all just like reset let's no one's mad no one's angry everybody feels good cool let's rock and roll then so and in that case i feel like the humor works most of the time most of the time yeah people seem to be on board which is great like cool you think it's fun let's be fun like well, there's no point in being sad it well, is it is interesting how how many uncomfortable situations consciously or unconsciously end up being funny situations and that's what this whole thing is about in a lot of ways like I, that's sort of a through line through the conversations i've had so far where it's like we're talking about deep shit mm -hmm. or un things that can be uncomfortable and they're kind of funny they are i think <laughs> like it, it's it's funny because like you know i i've been i've been in therapy for the last like two years just like trying to work through a lot of these anxieties a lot of these problems and and whenever I catch myself having these, like, really intense conversations with my therapist, who's who's similarly in age to me, she's, you know, maybe a year or two older than me, I, I was like, this is exactly what I want. I want someone who I can, like, really relate to. Right. And I'll oftentimes be, like, unsure if I'm supposed to laugh or cry in a moment, where you say something and you're like, holy shit, that's fucked up. And you're like, that's, that's fucked up. <laughs> that's fucked up. That's fucked yeah. up. Yeah. And, it's, and it's nice that, I, I think it's nice now seeing that other people feel that way. And not feeling so alone is such a wonderful feeling that I don't think we're all lucky enough to have in our lives all the time. And, like, not feeling alone about those kinds of specific things where it's like, yeah, this is fucked up and this is heartbreaking and it's really sad, but it's also, like, kind of funny. And, like, if you take that big step back and you almost give yourself that empathy of, like, how much space can I give myself to be like, this is funny. Like, acknowledge that this is funny and let's move on and, like, try to fix it. Um, and that's how I deal with a lot of my problems now is I, I can, I, I don't get angry anymore. I used to be a really angry guy. I used to yell a lot. I used to punch holes in walls. I used to be really, really angry. Um, and I, I didn't want to be angry anymore. So I just had to like learn how to let it go. Um, and that's, that's an, that's an uphill battle for me every day, but it, it, it feels good not to be like weighed down with anger anymore. So it's good. Is that what put you into therapy? Was it like an ang I need to figure out a way to it was partially that it was partially like um i've i've long been just uh like i get the sad we call them the sads that's the what sads. we call them in my house like we call them the sads where you just you wake up and you're like fuck like i i don't want to move i don't really want to exist i don't really want to you know i don't want to live and i don't want to die i want like a third space where i just am like neg like i'm neutral neutral and i and i don't participate and that and that's been like a through line lately of my conversations with my therapist where I'm like, I just don't want to participate. I just like, 
I just want to live my life for a little while and like not exist in the larger chasm of the universe. Like I want to live in my local universe that all, where all this stuff is super important and like, oh, is so-and-so okay? And is so-and-so good? And, and you know, what is my marriage like? And what is my job like? And, and you get so caught up in it and then you just disengage from the rest of the real universe that is still moving forward and is still flying at such a crazy pace that I just don't want any, I'm like, I don't want to jump back on that train. Like I can't get on that moving train. It's moving so fast that like I get too much anxiety about it and I just break down. So yeah, I, I find that it's, that was like a big thing that pushed me into therapy, but talking about all my anger and my rage issues, um, was a really good thing too, because yeah, my, my wife don't, my wife don't play that shit. She's like, and she shouldn't. She's like, if you're mad and you're fucking screaming and yelling, I'm, I'm going to fucking, I'm going to be out of here. So that shit can't last. And I was like, she told me that like maybe six months into our relationship, like I, I can't be around like a lot of yelling. I can't be around a lot of this and a lot of that. And, and it sort of was a good spark to get me to change the person who I like into the person that I really wanted to be as opposed to the person that I was. And that was really important. So neat. I was like, cool, this is like a do or don't do thing where it's like, this can fuck up my life. <laughs> yes, it it. Good. You better do it. Yeah. I, um, it, that's interesting to me because I react very strongly to anger. Mm -hmm. uh, like I definitely get triggered by people raising their voices mm -hmm. and, and, and that kind of thing. But I also have anger issues. So it's kind of like you understand that this behavior is really bad for you when it comes from other people. But you have to figure out how to like not do it yourself. Well, I think also, and just to like think about it in a larger perspective, like I think in a in a way that we see a lot of male portrayals of, of us in media, like, of, of uh, and by us, I mean cis, straight, white dudes. Right. Like, uh, like I... Well, you, as me, opposed to, yes. Me, as opposed to we. <laughs> as opposed to, yes. The royal we. Yes. Me, me and all the people who live in my head. Um, uh, I almost just said we again. Uh, <laughs> which I'll save for therapy tomorrow. I'm like, I'm like, hey, I just keep doing this we thing. I don't really know what's up. Um... But I think a lot of times, you know, and again, I, I'm coming this from a, through a very specific lens of like an Italian American white dude who is like shoved the Sylvester Stallones and the Al Pacinos and the and the the angry, loud, brash, punching holes in walls, scream like that was that was like a model of a man to me for so long that I just did not identify with. Where I was like. I tried to be it, and I felt like a square peg round hole where I was like, yeah, I am mad, but this isn't the kind of man I am. And I didn't have any other way to express those feelings. And I think it's very easy for us to get pigeonholed into things like that. When we see, like, we identify with someone on a screen or we identify with someone in a book, and, and it just, you just want to be that kind of a person, and it's not, it's not a good person to be. And you don't see that because you're so blinded by this, like, Oh, well, they're the main character. They must be the person I'm supposed to identify with. And it's like, I don't, I don't actually think you're supposed to identify with, you know, Robert De Niro and Raging Bull. I don't think you're supposed to identify <laughs> with that man. I think he's supposed to be someone that you definitely don't identify as. So, um, yeah, I think that that's, that's like a challenging thing that we see now too, just to make matters worse in terms of like angry dudes. It's like, get every white dude you see is fucking angry. And it's like, cool. Maybe we need less of that. Maybe sure. less angry white dudes is the answer to some of these problems. Um, and, yeah, so I just didn't want to be another angry white dude. Because, ugh. I mean, I was in the... I was also in, like, the Long Island hardcore and punk scene, which is filled with angry, misogynistic white dudes. Um, which is... It, which is its own thing. There's, there's some good eggs in there, but I think overall they don't listen to enough of the lyrical content of what they're listening to. That's always felt kind of strange to me. That hardcore fans, some, can be so misogynist and, and loud and fighty, whereas a lot of the artists and another subset of the fans, and I'm thinking like a lot of my straight edge friends, mm -hmm. are very caring and very like soft-spoken and sort of the antithesis to these like meathead dudes. And you bring up a very good point. It's like, are these people not listening to the lyrics? Like what? 
Are they just looking for an excuse to like jump into a crowd and like beat the shit out of people? That's what it feels like. It's like let's let's get in a big room together. Let's play music really loud and get really sweaty and just fucking knock our heads into one another. And it's like this is this is what y'all want to do. Like, yeah, I love Glassjaw. Glassjaw is great, but like, there's other stuff. And like, maybe maybe if more of those bands took the Beastie Boys route of like two and, albums in, we're like, fuck, you guys don't like you guys don't really get this. Like, let's <laughs> let's switch it up. First track on the third record, like, let's just call out that we've been a bunch of pieces of shit, and we just want to acknowledge that all the, all the women in the world are, like, working real hard, and, like, we're glad they're here. And it's like, yeah, maybe we should all be doing a little bit more of that. And I think that it's funny, when I stopped listening to so much of that hardcore and Long Island, like, punk scene, when I sort of took a big step back from that, and I started discovering my own music and discovering my own taste and not being so influenced by the other people in my life, I found a lot more of the things that I've identified with in my adult years still like beastie boys being a prime example like when i listen to when i listen to the beastie boys now i hear like three maturing adults throughout their entire career and it's it's so beautiful to see that kind of a growth in in three men that you're like yeah fuck yeah like you started out like like paul revere that song is gross like like all of the all of those like first two records are just like ugh these are so like they would agree they would agree and and like they do they and like i i love that they they came out and were like, yeah, like you can change. We can all change. And we can, we can acknowledge like that was fucked up. And we're really sorry. And like, now let's do what we can to make up for it. And like, that's beautiful to me. And that's always been sort of my goal was to say like, cool, you can like punk you can like hardcore. You can like listen to these misogynistic things and be like, okay, can I separate that from how I really feel? And in doing so, what am I doing to better the world? If I separate from it, it's like, I'm not doing much. So, like, I have to change my actions to make up for all of that stuff that, like, I didn't do and I'm not responsible for, but I still want to make the world a little bit of a better place. So it's, like, separating yourself from that and trying to really understand how that feels was a big thing in my life. Um, I mean, you know, that first Glass Shard record that came out, uh, it'll be 20 years ago this year, and it's, like, the, like, I remember there's a lyric that sticks with me to this day. Like, someone's like, oh, you're going to go to that Glass Jaw show for the 20th anniversary? I was like... I was like, yeah, but it's mostly just to hear them say, I want you to suck on this dick that comes lead. It's like, whoa, <laughs> this is fucking crazy. Like, what is this? What does that mean? Why would you say that to somebody? And it's like, oh, because you're just, you're just like a fucked up, angry young dude, and you don't really know what you're saying. You're saying shit to push a button. <laughs> <coughs> and I'm good with button pushing. I don't need to push any more buttons. I push buttons all day. You have pushed... Your I, last They've button. been pushed. They're stuck in. It's like, cool. <laughs> we're good now. Let's move on. I, you know, I have that same issue as a hip-hop. I mean, as a hip-hop fan, uh, just in general, we don't give enough credit to people and each other as evolving beings, people in perpetual evolution. And there's some people that want to stay stuck in their 16, 17-year-old world forever. Or just are taught things and they're like well this is it this is what i know and i'm not going to do things to expand my view at all and they just continue to be stuck in that rut but there's a lot to be said for the beastie boys model where like you go from you know did it like this did it like that did it with a wiffle ball bat to you know to ill communication to you know an elder statesman thing and I, 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 there's so much value in just allowing yourself to grow. I think that, and, and it's so like, and it's not just growing as an artist, it's growing as a, as, as a, a human. man, as a human, yeah. as a person, like, you know, I, because I feel similarly, I struggle a lot with hip hop. Like I struggle with it because like, for me, I end up just listening to like the same records over and over again. And most of them are instrumental. And it's like, because I can't. The lyrical content is so challenging for me. And again, like I've been married for almost fucking 10 years at this point. Like I've been married for, I, my wife and I got married when we were, when we were 23. Like I've been married for a really long time. And wow. it's like, I, those aren't just like words in a song anymore. Like I, I, I married a woman who is outspoken, intelligent, incredible, like this amazing, amazing, amazing person who sort of shined a light onto all the sort of privilege and problems in the world that women face and, and gave me that mirror to empathize because I wasn't able to really 
draw those connections because again I'm used to thinking of women in this very far off kind of confusing concept of like oh they're like these like sexual objects or they're these these heartbreaking people in songs and they're always the bad person they're always the enemy they're always, and it's like none of that is true none none of that is true and like and you're fed this just like insane vision and bullshit about women and and I didn't I didn't understand how fucking stupid that was until someone was like that's fucking stupid and like really <laughs> showed like really showed me and gave me the opportunity to make that discovery for myself and understand more of like oh this is this is this is different this is like not what we were all taught it was supposed to be and like and that and her opening my eyes that is like probably the reason I'm sitting here having this conversation with you I would have I'd probably still be a dude sitting on Long Island living in my fucking parents' house or worse, paying rent to live on Long Island. And like, as someone, as someone who grew up on Long Island, that's like the goal. You're like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, but like, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have moved into New York City. I wouldn't have made the friends to people that I made. I wouldn't have lived in London. I wouldn't have done any of those things without her and without that bond and that like eye-opening experience of meeting her. So it's like, those are important huge things in my life and it's like yeah like not everyone's that lucky not everyone gets a like firsthand like you need to change your shit like nobody gets that or or like very few people are lucky enough to get that i was really lucky to have that opportunity so there, there aren't a lot of people who get that those are the people who i'm using this as as a metaphor sort of who stay in their own hometown and just sort of recycle the stuff that they've known their entire lives and don't get the chance because there there are lots of ways you can sort of have your worldview expanded it you can do it through research i mean the internet is great in that it allows people to hear perspectives if they choose to mm -hmm. or understand ways of being that are not common to them or it's the people you meet or it's the places you go um, and if you don't meet other people, you don't go other places and you wall yourself off from hearing other perspectives, you just sort of stay in this feedback loop of your own shit forever. Yeah. But I, I feel the same where like, I, I, I was so happy to get out of that echo chamber where it was terrifying to say like, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be in Hicksville and I'm gonna be listening to Glassdraw forever and like not not really and i don't mean, i'm not throwing glass jar out of the bus i'm using them as, <laughs> as an example yes yes <laughs> the you know the royal glass jar yeah. um <laughs> so yeah like the, like things like that i think are really important to to think about in terms of like yeah like you do need to go actually talk to other human beings you need to go see other places you need to and like that's why i feel so lucky to have gotten to live in london because i got to see so much more of the world than most of the people that I know, like, I've been to, I don't know, like, 17 countries. Like, I, I, I'm i like, we've been to Africa twice. We've been, like, all, we've been fucking all over Europe. We've been all over the United States. We've been, you know, we've been to all these amazing places and met all these amazing people and seen all these amazing things. And it's like, yeah, like, you're, I'm super fucking lucky. And, like, my job is to now, like, take that luck and just pass it along. But, like... But again, as like, as a little kid growing up, I don't think I thought about all of this stuff. I think I was just like, again, my, my dad being that model of like, the, these are the people you should idolize. My dad also not, I, my dad was not a super perfect person. Uh, he would always kind of tell us these life lessons, but at inappropriate times, like, Give uh, an example, Blake. I would, I would absolutely love to. <laughs> um, so when I was about probably like nine or 10, my dad started using this phrase a lot, which was when a woman says no, she means no. And I was like, I don't know what that means. I don't know anything about what a woman would say no to. I don't know when a woman would say no or why I'd be asking her a question. I didn't know any of those pieces of information. And so I think when your dad essentially tells you at age nine, like you should probably not rape women. It's like, okay cool got it and like that informs you forever i think you're just like okay that's fucked up i don't really understand what this means and then as you get older he just keeps saying it over and over and over again and then by the time you get it and it clicks he stops saying it and i'm like what 
what the fuck is that about? Why did, why did, you just, like, fucked me up forever. Like, I don't understand what that means, and, like, I don't, like, my dad was talking about consent in, you know, the early 90s, which is good, but also just fucked me up as a little kid, because I was like, I don't understand what you're talking about. Well, it about. came with no context. Yeah, my dad was not a big context guy. He was just a big, like, here's a life lesson, and I was like, I don't know what to do with this, but I'll just hold <laughs> on to it until it makes sense. At least you held on to it as opposed to just being like, well, what is this crazy stuff? <laughs> what the fuck does this mean? <laughs> I don't know what's yeah. going on here. So he did that to all all three of us, I think, as as a as a son of as a Caligari son. That was sort of the that was like how you knew dad was, I guess, thinking that you're gonna grow up to be a man eventually. It's like, here you go. And I was like, Okay, cool. My parents were also really supportive all the time. Um, I think my parents thought I was gay for a really long time and they always just, like, I'd be, like, going to school, and they'd be like, hey, you know, just want to remind you, like, whoever you are, we're going to love you no matter what. And I was always like, cool. <laughs> I'm going to go to school now in my, like, in my, like, cowboy outfit or matching armadillo sweatsuit outfit. Um, I wore a lot of strange clothes. and I, My parents let me dress myself, so I just wore fucking weird shit all the time. What is a matching armadillo sweatsuit? Yeah. That would be sweatpants, T-shirt sweatshirt all themed with the armadillo animal so an armadillo crossing sign on on the t armadillos on the pants and then a large armadillo on the sweatshirt did you have a thing for armadillos when you were nope. a kid? still don't know where that came from still don't know where it came from why it happened or what it was doing in my in my possession but i had it and damn it i was gonna wear it all right. I liked imagining sweatsuit. <laughs> that pegs you as an Italian American from Long Island. One hundred percent. Add a gold chain and make it out of velour, and I am like one hundred percent. I could be. I could be an extra on The Sopranos. That's right. Like the lost Gotti child. <laughs> all you need is a uh, a blowout. Oh yeah, that's like that's the key. That's the key to all <laughs> all Italian Americans. My hair is too wavy. They're like they're like, ooh, Madonna. We can't do nothing with this head. <laughs> Oh, gosh. We went off track a little bit. We did. We did. But I came around back to that uh, don't rape story, which yeah. was I was excited to tell. But it's good that you you had supportive parents. I did. I had really supportive parents who were, uh, yeah, always always inclined to let me do whatever it was that I was going to do. Was there ever a time when you did something and you kind of put that into question? Their support? Yeah. Um, I think now in the last few years, like, retroactively looking at it, where I go, oh, okay, like, you let me go to, like, film school, and, like, I didn't really have a plan. Like, I didn't have a plan. I went to Brooklyn College for film production, and it was essentially, like, I, I want to do this. And they were like, okay, cool, yeah, go do it. And I was like, I was like, I wanted someone to challenge me to prove that I didn't know what the hell I was talking about, and I probably should have gone for, like, a real major not just like make pretend and um and they didn't they didn't do that and and i think that that was that was a hard thing for me to come to terms with because i was like oh like these are all my mistakes now like i can't blame somebody else and that was the first time in my life where i was like fuck I, I should not have done that and like i made a huge mistake and and now like what am i gonna do with the rest of my life and now it's like yeah now i work in it so it's um that's like a weird one where i was always like i was like man i wish you would have just fucking been like well what are you gonna do with that like, giving me that, like, shitty sitcom parent response that I kind of needed them to give me to prove that I didn't know what I was talking about, but they didn't. didn't. happen. And, yeah, and, like, and, again, like, I know, boo-hoo, my parents were too supportive, but, like, but I think that it's, it, you need, I, I needed that structure. I didn't have any rules. I didn't have a curfew. I didn't have any of that shit. So, like, it was, like, get out there, don't rape, and come home whenever you feel like it. Like, that was it. And, it. and it was like, okay, yeah, cool, you guys got it. I'll be home at, like, 10, 10.30. Like, see ya. And that was it. I always was, was like, desperate for that little bit of extra structure and, and Somebody rules. to lay down the law. A little bit. Yeah. It doesn't, never happen. We were all just, like, fucking putzing around. <laughs> You're the youngest of three boys. Mm -hmm. So, sounds like you grew up in a very boy male centric we were a heavy male sort of spot yeah my my oldest brother is about uh 12 years older than me um and then my next oldest brother is about two years older than me and it was always um again like I, I think of all the like the music that we listened to and i think of all the movies that we loved and the like the the movie stars that were in our house the bruce willis's the uh 
the like major leagues, the Metallicas, the everything else that we sort of never really stopped participating in. Like I remember like my brothers like working out and exercising a lot to like Metallica really loudly in our laundry room. <laughs> and like I will ne- I don't really know why I'll never really like be able to disassociate the black album from like lifting weights in a laundry room. That checks out. I can I can picture that in my head. So yeah, we were a very male centric like, you know, my dad built our deck and I was the perpetual flashlight holder. Like that was my job. I was the hold it guy. Like that was me. Um so yeah, that was we we were a very there's a lot of there was a lot of male driven activities. My mom didn't really have a whole lot to say at the time. Um, even though in an interesting way she was the like she owned her own business. She would um she worked with insurance companies to get additional funding for children who were mentally or physically disabled. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, she's, my mother's a saint. Um, she's like, she's such a much better person than me. Um, and she, so she was always like the leader of our family in that way. And my dad worked with her, did like their billing and their accounting and stuff, which like he just did as, out of like, yeah, we're, we're just like a family affair. Um, and then, you know, probably like 99, 2000, that, that business went under and, and we, we struggled after that with, with money and stuff. But my, you know, my mom never really, I felt got like the credit that she deserved for being the like leader of our family for so long. And like the, like, we're going to go out and I'm going to do this crazy fucking thing and like make a living out of it. And she was in business for like 25 years. Wow. Um, and it was like, it was beautiful. And like, I got to meet all these amazing, incredible kids and like change like that all that shit changed me in a way that like i will never be able to put into words like it prove like privilege and like all that shit goes so far out the window and so far like so far away when you see like a child with like one arm and no legs and you're just like yeah like and they're just happy they're just super stoked and like your mom is in another room talking to their parents about how they're going to get a special shower put in and you're just like hanging out playing with like wrestling action figures with this kid and like oh god i could cry just thinking about it like i i always think about you know my mom not 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 ever really asserting herself as like the leader of the family in that way and and, like the rest of us being like oh yeah whatever just mom do you think that ties in how does that relate to the gender roles like do you think that she was not appreciated because what was the i think I think that, um, my dad, my dad did all the cooking, my dad did all the cleaning, my dad did all that stuff, and so my gender roles are very askewed because of it. You know, I think of, I don't think of anything as, like, women's work. I hate that phrase. Like, I don't think of anything like that. So, I was lucky in that regard, um, and I think that after the business was lost, it was really easy to write my mom off as, like, oh, well, she fucked this up, she did this, she did that, and that, that, like, that was really challenging for me, because I idolized my mom, like, my mom and I are so similar, she is, she's the funny one, she's the sweet one, she, she and I align so well in so many things, and I find her to be so easy to talk to, where I don't find that with my dad, and, and it's, it's, uh, it's definitely changed the, like, the view I had on women when I made this realization where it was like, oh, like, you know, I think when I was a super little kid, it was like, again, my dad, like, my dad idolizes these cowboys, so, like, I should be like them because they're, they're the, they're the good guys, they're what's right, and, like, never realized the whole time that my mom was doing all of those things. She was the cowboy. She was the cowboy. She was the cowboy of our whole family, and, like, I never realized that, and, you know, only, only now in like retrospect and through years, like through therapy and all this stuff, it's like, oh, I understand that now. I see how important of a role she played and how that like the matriarchy in our family was actually the, the thing that held us together. And once it was gone, our, our family unit seemed to like sort of fall apart. Um, and when, when that business was gone, my mom went back to work and worked at, worked at Ikea for 15 years until she could retire and like didn't complain about it wasn't it was like we got to make money we got to survive and like this is what we're doing and it's like that's the most chivalrous thing you can do that's the most like on point family first like beautiful thing you can do is to kind of eat crow and not complain about it and like god what a what a like what a woman what a gal like she's great 
Um, so Your yeah, mom she, sounds pretty awesome. She's pretty great, and and that's why it's like so. I think it's it's interesting to think about like gender roles and things as a child growing up because, yeah, my dad was doing all this like talking about like treating women right, and and, and he backed that up. Like my dad was not a misogynist. My dad never was, at least not in front of me. Like n the view my dad had of women was always like respect first, was always um, caring first, but. I think when push came to shove, it was like when he needed to make a hierarchy structure in his head, he was on top. On top, sure. And and like again, my dad, my dad was born in forty nine. My dad's seventy years old. Like I get it; it's a generational thing. I just don't have to agree with it. And that's my that's like my feeling on the matter. And again, my dad's not a bad guy. It's just how his brain. Is totally wired. understood. Totally understood. So, I think in terms of more recently in my life the sort of things that have shaped me into the man that I am. Because I think that also we take advantage that, like, we're, we should be growing every day. And, like, if you're the same person you were yesterday, like, are you living your life or not? So, like, my thing is I, I try to just be a better person all the time. Right. Um, and so I think that, again, like, I think about the relationship I have with my wife and, and the la like, meeting her when I was 20, 22, and, like, getting married, like, a year and a half later is fucking wild. And, like, again, supportive parents. Nobody was like, maybe this isn't such a good idea. <laughs> um, which, like, is great that they didn't that they didn't feel that way. But, you know, getting married when you're 23 and then, you know, seven years later being like, okay, like, we're going to open our marriage up. And, like, we're going to, like, have this new 21st century relationship. And we're going to try this and see how it feels. And, like not letting it ruin your life and like that's another exciting thing that that like has changed me for the better too where it's like cool i don't own anybody we are partners in this and it's like if this is what someone needs to feel like they lived a fulfilled life cool let's do it like and that's and that's been like a really that's been like a later development of like the last like six months eight months um which is you know which was terrifying in the beginning but has now been like cool okay like everything's cool how great is it to not think of your partner as a possession Amazing. in ownership thoughts, which has always been, not always been, <laughs> actually it has always been something that's bothered me, but not something that I could articulate until maybe the last few years. I am polyamorous. I don't know if you knew that or not. I did not. Okay. There you go. There you go. And I want my partners to be partners. I don't want... What I see in a lot of relationships that freaks me the fuck out is when they're like, well, you belong to me and therefore you can't and you should not and blah, 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 because it feels like I'm black and we have a very tenuous relationship with ownership. <laughs> and it feels a little bit like that to me somewhere in the back of my head. And I don't really understand how people can be okay with that model of relationships. Not saying that everyone should be in an open relationship. Yeah, yeah. Not saying that everyone should be polyamorous. But any relationship based on an ownership model, any relationship that feels transactional in that way, just gives me the squicks. No, like I, it's, I agree 100%. Because, like, I'm a partnership person. Just like you just said, like, I like my partners to be partners. And, like, as a cowboy, this is what we do. Um, <laughs> well, those are partners. Those are partners. Yes. Um, but, no, I feel very similarly where she and I are are always on equal footing. We walk, we always say, like, no one walks in front, we walk side by side. Like, we have always been that way, and we will continue to be that way. And I, I struggle with this idea of, you know... I, I talk to other men and I hear them say things like, oh man, I'd love to do that. My girlfriend wouldn't let me do that. And I'm like, wouldn't let you do that? You're not, you're, you're not in a relationship. You're not yeah. in a relationship. Like you, if you're not equal partners, it, it, and it would be the same if, if, if their other partner, uh, woman, man, whatever, whatever their, their partner, if they said a similar thing, I, if someone said that about me, I would be fucking pissed. I'd be like, I'm not stopping you from doing anything. You should, you have full rights to do whatever the fuck you want because you literally get to live one life. Don't you want to be happy? And like, life's too short. So for me, that is like my whole thing is like, if this is what you want to do to feel fulfilled and feel happy, it's like, cool. And at the end of the day, you're going to come home and like, we're going to fall asleep in the same bed together and like, we're going to, everything's going to be fine. So it's like, who gives a shit? Right. Who gives a shit? Um, 
And yeah, I think that, again, younger, angrier version of me would not have been able to sit here and have that conversation or, you know, probably sit in my bedroom and have that conversation with my wife either. Yeah, it'd but, be weird if you were sitting here <laughs> having this conversation I'm like on the with phone, your... I'm like, I'm like, wait, who you want to fuck? What? <laughs> um, Meanwhile, I'm sitting here like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, can we pause the recording for a second? Um, yeah, and I think that, that I think that changes you as a man to understand a lot more about what you... Put your money where your mouth is in terms of your partnership and really say like, okay, I, I don't actually feel that way. I, I really do feel like we're partners and we're equals and, and you're able to do this and so am I. So I think that that's, that's been a very recent development of understanding myself and my relationship that, yeah, after 10 years, I'm like, damn, this is still changing. This is still evolving. Like, holy shit. That's so cool. Like, I think that's so cool. And yeah, I don't ever want to stop that. It is super cool, and I think the most successful relationships are the ones that allow, where you're allowed to evolve. Yeah. And you're not just stuck in, again, this feedback loop of, this is the person you were, this, you're not the person I married. Of course you're not the person you married, I married you 10 years ago. Yeah, like, like <laughs> I'm not the same person I was back then. You want me to be that same, like, anxious, fucking band t-shirt wearing, fucking whatever the fuck dude I was, where it's like, look, I still wear band t-shirts, I just wear plain t-shirts now too. Like, I, like, like, you know, and again, I think because we met each other so young, we met each other in that fucking movement between young adult to grown up, like, that is a wild time to meet somebody <laughs> and to be like, to, to fucking put your money on that horse. Like she met me. I was like a, I was chronically having, like I was in a chronic state of panic. That's how I would describe my life. I like couldn't function in normal society and I couldn't talk to people. I couldn't like, I was so anxious all the time. I couldn't couldn't relinquish my own thoughts is like how I would describe it. Like okay. I would just get caught in those stuck cycles. In and, um, and like she stuck with me through that. And I'm like, well, that was fucked up. So like we met under the fucked up guys of that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, of course I'm not that anymore. It's like, if I was still like tapping my hands together and living like a fucking captain insano life, like no one would want to be a part of me. So it's like, I'm lucky that that development happened. So yeah, that, that relationship in and of itself has been this ever changing kind of, new world that I've gotten to live in and it's really really lucky and I feel like again really privileged to be able to not only have these like experiences but have the prism to view them through correctly some of that is your mind being in the right place mm -hmm. like you you certainly had a lot of people in your life who were pointing you in the right direction but people can do all the pointing in the world, and you still might not go. You might just all go sideways, right? So there's there's definitely something in you that is going that is being pointed the right way, but is also going the right way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like after like almost two years of meditating every day and like doing all that shit, and it's like cool, okay, like I'm in a much better. I don't feel the anger and rage that I would have felt, and it's like that's just gone. That's just gone. I don't feel it anymore, and it's like. I wouldn't be able to have this without, like, without all of that rage being gone. And my life would be fucking fucked up to otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that, you know, I also think that I feel like I became an adult really young. And by that, I mean, like, I lost my virginity when I was 13. Damn, like, son. No, not, and not in, like, and that's not like a, yo, check me out. Yeah, I'm not. Just... On the block. It's like, yo, I was too young to be making adult fucking decisions i shouldn't watching cartoons i shouldn't watching fucking cartoons and hanging out and like instead i had this like weird relationship with like a girl who was like 16 or 17 and it was just like this is fucked up this is super fucked up and like i don't want to do this this is like super weird and like you know when that happens you're just like oh yeah i have to be an adult like now like starting now there is no more of this like or at least this is what my brain did was like disengaged from childhood brain it was like you gotta be a grown-up now like you gotta act like an adult like you gotta like you gotta like you're not a little kid anymore it's like that's fucked up like i didn't get to do that what does that even mean at 13 years old though i think you have to start like i disassociated a lot from all the things i did as like a child like i, I would like like i got rid of all my cowboy clothes <laughs> i like and i and it sounds so fucking stupid like it sounds so stupid to put it in words but like I got rid of all my cowboy clothes. I, like, 
I didn't want to dress like that anymore. I like started listening to punk music and I started listening to hardcore and I started like being like, cool. Like now I'm like, I fuck. So I'm a grown up now. And like as a 14 year old boy, like, yeah, of course you're going to think that because you're a fucking idiot. Right. And like, cause we were all, because at least 49% of us were 14 year old boys at one point. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's going to be not good for your little adolescent brain. And yeah, you just give up on all the quote unquote kitty things that you would do. Like, I don't know. I started just like making trouble and rolling with a bad posse, like rolling with a mess of dudes that were just like, oh, you all smoke cigarettes and like drink. And like, I was just like, uh, I don't want to do I'm straight edge. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. It sounds like it's no fun. Um, but like, yeah, being like 14 and like walking with this like weirdo, like I'm not a virgin swagger that you see in like movies. And then after that being like, when when that relationship ends, you're, like, 14, and you're, like, cool. I'm not on the same level as all the other 14-year-olds that I know, and I feel super fucked up about it, and, like, I'm just gonna hide. And, like, I'm gonna hide and be tucked away and listen to Long Island Hardcore and be really <laughs> angry about it. Which I think, you know, that that's gonna change it. That's gonna affect your whole life, like, forever. Yeah. And so because of that, it's just, you know, I have a very... T- I have a very strange relationship with sex because of that i think and like just like a weird disassociation where i'm like i don't really want to i like yeah like cool but like i also i'm just like nah, this is gonna like ruin something like i have this like immediate immediate like this is gonna fucking ruin my life this is gonna ruin this relationship this is going to ruin whatever um and it's been a uh, a long uphill battle trying to not have that association anymore like trying to not be like okay i have to like change now it's just a thing. It's just a thing. It doesn't matter. It yeah. literally doesn't matter. But when you're taught that it matters so much. This is how you become a man. Yeah. You're a man now. It's like, I'm a man now? It's like, I didn't read from the Torah. I didn't fucking do anything. <laughs> how the fuck did I graduate already? Um, hey, just because you have sex doesn't mean all of a sudden like you grow hair on your chest and you can fight wars. and No. None of those things. I still can't fight a war. <laughs> And now you must go out and slay dragons and drink beer and... Yeah, right? And, like, meanwhile, I'm like, Budweiser tastes like old peanuts. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm gonna throw up. Did anyone have eczema? <laughs> like, th- like, that was what 13-year-old Blake was like. He was a fucking idiot goofball. And, yeah, it's just... I didn't understand that. And, like, and again, I think a lot of things in society and media teach you, like, once you have sex, you're a, you're a man now. You're a man. And it's like... I am not a man. I am a boy. I am 100% a boy. I wear fucking zip-away pants, and they got big old cargo pockets on them, and I wear high socks like I live in fucking Sacramento. Like, <laughs> I, like, that's a deep-cut California reference. Well, part. you gotta wear high, you, if you're from Sacramento, you wear high socks with, uh, with Nike, uh, with, uh, Nike slides. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, so I've been wearing Nike slides, I wore them with red high-top converses. Okay. That's the Long Island pepper. That's wow. what you call it. No one calls it that. But <laughs> That is a look. You are a man of looks. Oh, yeah. I went from a cowboy to like a dirty Sacramento punk in like just two short years. One one vagina later and you're a dirty Sacramento <laughs> punk. You did become a man. Oh. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, do you feel like an adult man now? I think that I feel feel like whatever the closest version to an adult man I've ever seen is is me um I I think I struggle all the time with feeling like an adult um I think when you when you work in technology and you and you live in New York City it's very easy to be like I'm 25 forever and you know I'm not anymore and and trying to understand that growth and what it what it's supposed to mean to be a man now and especially the the world we live in in 2020 like being a man comes with a lot of other things because if you're going to participate in a society like you have to be an ally and if you're not an ally you're an enemy and like i'm okay with that distinction because i'm on the right side of the fence and like i know it's a bold thing to say but like i don't there's no part of me that respects men who don't want to be allies to people who don't have everything. And again, from a perspective of a cis white dude, like, if I'm not thinking like this, 
nothing is going to change because society is built on like on the backs of everyone else and we push the ball forward that is correct like we have to be talking more about this and thinking more about this and looking all this shit right in the face because if we're not it's all just gonna get worse and it's gonna and like couldn't imagine how it can get worse but fuck leave leave it to the world to be more fucked up don't don't you imagine how just do your best that you can do to not make it fucked up i mean it's going to benefit you as a cishet white dude but it's going to make everyone else worse so i think the viewpoint a lot of cishet white dudes have is like i don't care about anybody other than me so fuck it like i'm gonna make my own life better by uh being by by reveling Mm -hmm. in my privilege and it takes and i'm saying this as someone who is neither white nor het it takes a I feel like it potentially takes a great deal of, of thought to step out of that and realize, to, to be an empath and realize that there are lots of people, most of the people in this world that don't get what you get just for being what you are. Like, it's not like you're getting what you're getting out of merit. No. You no. just happen to win the genetic lottery, basically. At like and especially like when you move into a job where you're like cool like people are reporting to me and like at my last job before I was where I am now it's like I had a like two women of color reporting to me one who's several years my senior and one who is my age and it's like oh this is like the definition of this like I can't I can't make it any more succinct than this than like a, a a 40-something-year-old woman who has a child and, like, a house and is responsible and is an intelligent, strong adult talking to me, a, like, 29-year-old white dude about, like, direction of a department. And it's, like, it sounds so stupid to say, but it is the most important thing that I can, like, acknowledge is, like, yeah, you got it good, man. You got it good. So maybe just, like, use that, use that for the right thing. And don't, don't take advantage of it. Don't rest on your morals. Don't, like, sit around and be like, dang, it's fucking great being a white dude. It's fucking great. No one discriminating against me. It's like, yeah, that is great. Awesome. Don't you want everyone else to feel that way? Don't you want everyone else to wake up every day and be like, I have as much opportunity and as much of a chance to make the best life possible for me and the people I love? Like, yeah. You should 100% be supporting people doing that. And sometimes it's it's hard because like, I think now in, in like the corporate society that we all live in, it's you don't always get to make the right decision easily sometimes that like right decision of what you got to do you really got to fucking push and you got to have a lot of uncomfortable conversations mm-hmm. which i am happy to say i've i've had more uncomfortable conversations in the last four or five years than i ever have in my life and and that's a good thing mm-hmm. because uncomfortable conversations are what pushes the ball forward and like that's just it you got to be able to pull someone aside and be like hey um, maybe we shouldn't say we're not going to hire a woman for this role. And instead we say, we're just going to hire the best candidate. Why don't we say that instead? And like, I shouldn't have to have that conversation with somebody, but I did. And guess what? We ended up hiring a woman for that role because I was right because they were the best candidate for the role. And it's like, that's great. That's like, that's the thing that's like me push in my own little, again, the local, like for me, the local is universal. That's like what my best friend and I always say about songwriting. It's like, Everything that you think in your brain, everyone else is thinking too. So whatever little change I can make in my little universe is going to have a bigger impact somehow. And like, it's really easy to write off all those things. It's like, they don't matter. Nobody cares. No one's paying attention. It's like, yeah, maybe. But if they aren't and they are paying attention and and they are, people do care and they are participating and it does have a change, like, wouldn't you rather bet on that? Like, why not? That is, that I will always bet on the positive side of things so that's like that's my current iteration of what my masculinity feels like is like betting on the positive things and hoping that whatever little bullshit i do that makes it better for somebody is going to spiral out longer and longer into this universe like i have to believe that otherwise what's the point of being a good person i want to give a special shout out to blake for sharing the story, as much as this show is two guys having a conversation, it takes a lot of guts, I think, to reveal yourself to the world in whatever shape that takes. Like honesty 
and transparency are, are things that you should never take for granted. And a lot of people are afraid to just share any sort of personal details about themselves with the world. So big shout out to Blake and shout out to all of my guests uh, on the podcast so far, particularly those who do not come from a mental health background for being so open and honest with their stories. Also want to give a shout out to my radiator, made a guest appearance for like five to seven minutes. What can I do? It's New York City. I'm recording at home and my radiator is loud. So you can find Blake online on social media. He is on Instagram. His uh, tag is almost ugly. And you can also find him at positively.pro. That is his website. You can view his photography. Once again, that is positively.pro. You can also find me and Detoxicity online if you go to facebook.com slash detoxpod, find me on Instagram at it's Mike Joseph or on Twitter at it's Mike Joseph one. Um, I would appreciate very much if you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a, uh, a note, a, a comment or a rating, preferably both on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And if you have any ideas for future shows or guests for future shows, or if you would like to be on the show yourself, don't be shy please email me at detoxpod at gmail.com. And of course, you can also DM me on Twitter or Instagram. This is Mike Joseph, and you have been listening to Detoxicity. Stay safe and healthy. Peace. Oh, and we have a little bit of bonus content for you that didn't fit within the framework of the actual podcast, but I thought this was a funny exchange. Enjoy. said that it was super clean it was like a story a two-bedroom super clean and i was like this is for me like let's go let's check it out (laughs) (laughs) was it indeed super clean it was we only ever saw two cockroaches in the entire almost five years we were there that's amazing and uh one of them my cat ate uh, right in front of us which was a bit intense i'm not gonna lie really because cats eat cockroaches Fucking cats eating cockroaches is gross. If you ever like, if you haven't seen it, it's <laughs> gross. I've seen it. Um, yeah, it, it. That also just made me think of my favorite Matrix line: "Was it's the smell, it's the sound when a cat like bunch it, like crunches yes. down into it. It's like yeah, but dabas, no thanks." <laughs>